Well, good evening. Let's return to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. This is where the Medo-Persians are going to defeat the Babylonians. Belshazzar the king will be killed on this night. This is a significant event in world history. And the details of this chapter really make it even more remarkable. The enemy is outside of the city walls. And while the enemy is surrounding the city, Belshazzar throws a great feast, calls for the temple vessels, drinks wine, toast to his gods, and he's partying. Meanwhile, the enemy is, is building outside. They're going to sneak in here tonight through the river, and I'm probably getting ahead of my notes here, but as he's praising his false gods, fingers of a man's hands appear out of nowhere and writes a message on the wall. He didn't know the meaning, but he became terrified. His face went pale. The joints of his loins were loosed. (laughs) I love that phrase. His knees smote together. And it was all because he had a guilty conscience. Be sure your sin will find you out. It will find you out. Others may not find out, but it'll find you out. Naturally, the king cries aloud in fear for his wise men to be brought in so that they might read and interpret the writing that's on the wall but they cannot make it known. And then walks in the queen mother. And she says, there is a man in thy kingdom. And she goes on to tell about Daniel, who by this point is likely in his mid-80s, maybe even on the low end. And so he is getting up there. And after all he had accomplished in Babylon during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, sadly, Daniel is largely forgotten by this point, but the queen remembers. She describes him as one who possessed the spirit of the holy gods. He was a man who possessed something that was not of this world, is what I believe she's getting at. She's trying to describe a godly man with pagan language. She says he had light, understanding, wisdom, an excellent spirit. He had the ability to interpret dreams dissolved doubt. And so she says, let Daniel be called. And we considered last week how Daniel is a type of Christ. There is a man. He is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who possesses all of these attributes that she says about Daniel. And Jesus is the one we should call upon. He's the one that we should try to introduce to others that they might call upon Him As well, because in Christ are all the answers of life. It's not a religion, but it is in a relationship with the Son of Man who has been exalted on high. And you can walk with Him. I mean, think about the Creator God. You can walk with Him today. He's been in the kingdom the whole time, He's just largely been forgotten. Well, this brings us to where we left off. 
last week. Let's begin in verse 13. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? <laughs> Jewry. You got some good Jewry, girl. Um, sorry, I shouldn't let my mind wander when I'm reading the Word of God. Verse 14. I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew, and, and whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him, and he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God ruleth in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven." And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver, and of gold, brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy, thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Tikal, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a gold chain about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius or Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. Amen. In verse 13, Daniel is brought before the king. So, understanding what's been happening outside of the city, Daniel is still living within the walls of Babylon, and one would think at Daniel's age, and how the queen mother speaks of him knowing that he is still alive, it would seem that they have maintained some sort of an acquaintanceship over the years. And as you know, when we come to certain verses in the Bible and when we read emails and texts and things like that, 
it's hard sometimes to get the tone, right? That's why it's dangerous when you put something into writing sometimes. And the Bible doesn't use emojis. <laughs> so it's hard to know sometimes what some of the, the tone is when we are, are reading through the Word of God. But most commentators see Belshazzar's approach to Daniel as demeaning. And it may further highlight the king's pride. Um, there's certainly room for this kind of thinking when we go at it from that angle. And, and, and that sometimes is kind of the danger of going to the Word of God with a preconceived idea because you can almost make stuff fit, you know. But Belshazzar, to just think about that position, he doesn't mention Daniel's four-plus decades of commendable service to Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather. And he doesn't acknowledge, for all you military guys, he doesn't acknowledge how Daniel had reflected great credit upon himself and the Babylonian Empire. Um, okay, that was a sad attempt at military humor. He doesn't acknowledge Daniel's past leadership. And Daniel, he was a leader of the province of Babylon, and he was made the chief of the governors over all the wise men in Babylon. Instead of recognizing this man, and i tell you what's interesting. I took this out, but it's in my head. You go over to chapter 8. This is not going to flow chronologically. There's going to be a couple chapters still under Belshazzar, even though he is said to die this night. There'll be a couple more chapters that take place under his reign. In, in chapter 8, it talks about Daniel getting back to work in the king's business. I think it might have been the third year of Belshazzar's reign. So here's a guy doesn't even know the guy's actually still employed in his... In his anyway, it's pretty sad, isn't it? So... Here's a guy that's been faithful to serve, and instead of recognizing any of that, Belshazzar says, Art thou that Daniel which are of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? And, and so we, we get the sense, I think, that the queen has shown far more respect for Daniel than the king is here. And I can see why people view it this way. And, and if we just think about this for a moment, Daniel has lived in Babylon longer than Belshazzar has been alive. I mean, this guy's been around. And not only that, he was far more familiar with Babylon than he was with Judea. You know, it's kind of sad, but that's the reality of it. And fleshly speaking, he was more a child of Babylon than he was of Judea. And I'm not saying he viewed himself that way, but after spending... Seventy years in Babylon, uh, certainly he understands the culture there. It's probably safe to say Daniel knew far more about Babylon from firsthand experience than Belshazzar did. And he definitely had far more leadership experience in Babylon than Belshazzar did. And yet the king's focus when Daniel comes in is upon the fact that he was among the lower class children of the Judean captivity. And while it is true that Daniel is still a captive, Daniel deserved far more respect than he's getting here, especially at this point in his life. And not to mention, let's not forget, the king had been very affrightened when all of this was going down. Uh, let me say it again. The joints of his loins were loosed. And his knees buckled and knocked together. This was not a good look for the king. All right, guys, if you're trying to impress your wives, your concubines... You don't want the joints of your loins to go loose and your knees to knock together. It's not my wife shaking her head. 
Oh, you're agreeing that it's not a good look. Okay. And so here's a man, he had been terrified, and he's not really in the best of positions here. He's not in a flattering position, I'll put it that way, to have this amount of pride, uh, amount of pride still in his heart. So instead of being grateful for a man like Daniel, uh, instead of recognizing Daniel's years of faithful service to Nebuchadnezzar and in the empire, instead of showing some humility, he treats Daniel like this. And that's kind of what people think on how he's approaching Daniel. Well, in verse 14, the king says to Daniel, I have even heard of thee. Now, I don't know if that was meant to impress Daniel, but I don't think it really impressed him too much. I can only imagine what was going through Daniel's mind. You know, oh, this wicked man knows me, big deal. You know, but anyway, I can't get inside Daniel's head. The king goes on to say to Daniel how he's heard that the spirit of the gods is in thee, light and understanding and an excellent um, spirit or wisdom is found in thee. And when we consider this in light of Christ, isn't this really the same kind of attitude that people give towards Jesus? Oh, you mean that Jesus who was a child of Judah? Yeah, I've heard of him. He had some pretty good qualities. People are just so flippant about knowing Jesus. Most people view Jesus as nothing more than a historical figure who lived and was a good man. And some don't even have that high of opinion. But He's so much more than that. He's God in the flesh. He lived a sinless life and He willingly laid down His life for you. Amen. He deserves so much more respect and He deserves to be worshipped. And just hearing about Jesus, it's not going to be enough in the day of judgment. But have you placed your faith in Him alone for salvation? Not that you can give mental assent to the truths that we, we preach. Not that you can agree with that mentally. But do you have faith in Him? Have your sins been forgiven through His blood? Does the Lord know you relationally? So Belshazzar says to Daniel, I've heard of you. I heard you're a pretty good fellow. Same attitude people take with Jesus. He then says in verse 15, The wise men cannot make the interpretation of the writing known to me. But in verse 16, he says, I've heard this is your speciality. And if you do this, then I'm going to reward you. I'm going to give you scarlet robe, amen, that sounds pretty cool, gold chain around your neck, he'd be kicked out of independent Baptist churches, right? Uh, <laughs> and thou shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Daniel replies in verse 17, let thy gifts be to thyself, give thy rewards to another. Now, why does Daniel say this to Belshazzar when he had taken gifts from Nebuchadnezzar? Well, remember in chapter 2, it really wasn't so much about the gifts, but their lives were at stake. Remember Nebuchadnezzar said, we're just going to cut you up and make your house a dunghill. And so when they had went in to pray about that, um, remember that they, Daniel chapter 2 verse 18, that they would desire 
the mercies of God of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish. And so what was at stake there was, was life and death. Here there's no mention of the fact that you're going to die if you don't interpret this. And, and Daniel is just letting them know, look, I, I'll do this, but it's not because I need to be rewarded. And he's not doing this for, for monetary gain, but he still will receive the gifts in verse 29. Why does he do it then? Well, because it was the king's command. And there's only so much you can do and, and still be within the goodwill of the king. And so, I, you know, he's just doing what he can do here. But uh, we should also consider how Daniel was young in chapter 2. And now he is aged in chapter 5. And perhaps the reply is because of his age. And it's just not important to him at this point in life. You know what I'm saying? You hit, a, you hit an age where it's like, no, I don't need, I don't need that. Um, I got far less in front of me than I got behind me. And, and I don't know what his thinking is, but uh, it could have something to do with his age. I can't help but wonder if at his heart, Daniel already knows the end of the Babylonian Empire is near at this point. And therefore, he says, just keep your gifts. I don't need your rewards. And in his mind, he's probably thinking, spoiler alert, you're going to be dead. The kingdom's going to fall tonight. So... Just keep your stuff. In, in chapter 2, they still had many decades left in captivity. He could be a great help to the, the Jews in captivity at that point by receiving a promotion then. And, um, and, and now, of course, the writing's on the wall, literally. The, the end is near, and so there's, there's no need to really take the benefit of being promoted again. Uh, it's, it, even if he, even when he gets promoted in verse 29, it's not going to last through the night. He's only going to retain the position for probably a few hours. So um, whatever Daniel's reasons were for refusing the gifts and the rewards, I think it's noteworthy to consider how Daniel addresses the king. Remember, the king addresses Jan, Daniel probably uh, in, in a way that he didn't deserve. And I don't really have an application, but do you notice how Daniel, when he addresses the king here, he, dis- he dispenses with the pleasantries? Even when the queen mother walks in, she starts with the customary, O king, live forever. And, and Daniel just speaks very directly to the king when you think about it. He's very bold towards him. He doesn't give any of that stuff. And I kind of get the sense that Daniel's had enough of this guy's arrogance. But what we'll see at the end of verse 17, uh, or what we do see there at the end of verse 17, Daniel's, he's going to go ahead and read the writing. He's going to make the interpretation known. But Daniel doesn't go right into interpreting the writing. Instead, he backs up and he gives the king a history lesson. And he tells Belshazzar how the Most High God had given Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom, majesty, glory, and honor. And that in this man's position, all of the earth, all of the nations under his reign feared him. The king decided who lived and who died just on how he felt. He was given power. And with that power came his pride. And it went to his head. And Daniel says at the beginning of verse 20 that Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up. And his mind was hardened in his pride. And as a result, of course, we read it, God took the glory of Nebuchadnezzar away. Uh, 
and he had the heart of a beast. He lives in the field. He's eating grass like a beast until he would acknowledge that the Most High God sets up and puts down. And so he had to learn who God, that God installs whoever he will. And then in verse 22, Daniel, after giving that history, he shifts his attention back to Belshazzar by saying, And thou his son, O Belshazzar, remember his son here, his grandson, but they didn't use that language. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart. Listen to this. Though thou knewest all of this. You knew. And you did not learn your lesson. And and what we ought to get from this is we are to learn from the mistakes and the sins and the errors of those who have gone before us. Do you understand that's part of the reason God gave us His Word? In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul's writing about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And he says, now these things were our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things as also they lusted. And then he went on to write in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples. And they are written for our admonition. Romans 15 and verse 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Matthew Henry wrote this, quote, that we may understand aright what God is doing with us, it is of use to us to review what He has done with others. End quote. So I would put it to you this way tonight. We ought to be in the Word of God. Because what you're going through, it may be in here. And you might get a sense of what God's trying to do in your life. We don't have to learn the hard way that the way of the transgressors is hard. I don't have to learn the hard way that I don't want to be a drunk. I don't have to learn the hard way that substance abuse is not the answer. You see, you don't have to learn the hard way. The experiences are out there and they're on display. If you don't believe me, follow me home tonight and I'll point them out. Because you know if you go right down here, it's going to be on display. The way of the transgressors is hard. Why learn it the hard way? And I know all of us still have lessons we learned the hard way. But we can see things in others. And I could list sin after sin, but you get the point. And so it was with Belshazzar. He did not have to learn this lesson this way. Daniel said, Thou knewest all of this. But Belshazzar refused to learn from what had happened to others. And and, and get this, because you know it's true. Many times we convince ourselves that we're going to be the exception to the rule. And that somehow we're going to be the one that comes through 
without any problems. Albert Barnes wrote this, The idea is that we ought to derive valuable lessons from what has taken place in past times, that from the events which have occurred in history, we should learn what God approves and what He disapproves, that we should avoid the course which has uh, subjected others to His displeasure and which has brought His judgments upon them, end quote. Well, Belshazzar refuses to learn from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel lets him know in verse 23 how he had lifted up himself against the Lord of heaven by bringing these vessels of the house of God into this feast, drinking wine, praising his false gods. And then notice this statement at the end of verse 23, and the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose, all, whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Isn't it amazing that people can curse and mock God with the very breath He provides them with? Daniel lets the king know, you wouldn't even have life if it wasn't from God, much less this exalted position. And yet you mock him by desecrating the vessels that were dedicated to the worship of the one true God and you praise your gods with that breath that he gives you. I always marvel how people can just GD. Makes no sense. Well, Daniel says in verse 24, this is why part of the hand was shown. You know why it was sent from God and this writing was written? Because you are full of pride and you knew better. And you refused to humble yourself and to glorify God. And that's why God is leaving this message for you. Maybe this is why Belshazzar had the fearful response that he did in the first place. Perhaps his thoughts troubled him. He had a guilty conscience because he knew he was guilty of being prideful. Well, next, Daniel gets to the interpretation of the writing, mene, mene, take el, you farsin. We see in verse 26, the meaning of mene is numbered. It is repeated twice because this is certain. Daniel said, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. We might say it this way, Belshazzar, your number is up. It has come due. God has finally had enough. The kingdom is now about to come to an end. He's numbered. You remember what Moses wrote in Psalm 90 and verse 12? So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. But Belshazzar has refused to apply his heart unto wisdom. He refused to learn from his grandfather's example. And he could have learned from Daniel. He had the wisest men, the wisest man in the empire right there. He could have learned from Jeremiah the prophet. Those writings were in existence. We'll find Daniel in chapter 9 reading from Jeremiah. If he would just have applied himself, he would have known this stuff. I believe he did know. As I mentioned at the beginning of this chapter, Belshazzar would not have been ignorant of the fact 
that this 70-year captivity had been foretold of and that it was nearing its completion. But in his pride, he mocks God when he should have learned from the Word of God through Jeremiah. Listen, this is amazing. Listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 27, verses 6 and 7. Well ahead of time. And now have I given... This is God speaking through Jeremiah. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. And all nations shall shall serve him, listen, and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. God already knew it's going to last to the grandson. And after that, it's, it's going to be done. If Belshazzar just would have applied himself, learned from what was written, man, he could, have, he could have ended this a lot better. I'm of the opinion he knew enough of this to know that, it, that this is what has led to his troubled thoughts. And, and, and as I mentioned, I believe this is why he's calling for the vessels. Because, oh yeah, you think the captivity's ending? Bring me those vessels. That God wasn't able to help them then is not going to help them now. I believe he had been foretold of this day, but in his pride, he figures, I'm going to be the exception. Well, Mene, the kingdom has been numbered, and it's finished. Next is the word tekel, which means weighed. And as Daniel explains in verse 27, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. You see, God is just, and God will not execute judgment until he has proven that you are worthy of being judged. And so he's just in executing his judgments. He weighs the matters out on his divine scales. Job said, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. In Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2 verse 3, she said, for the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. Proverbs 16.2, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Proverbs 16.11, a just weight and balance are the Lord's. You see, God's scale is accurate. I may not always get it right. God will. As parents, we may not always get it right. God, God does. And when God weighs Belshazzar out, God found the king to be wanting, or it means he came up short. And as a result, the word Perez is added in verse 28. In verse 25, it's the word Eupharsin. And men who are much smarter than me tell me that the difference here is that Perez is singular. Eupharsin is the plural version. And I'm just going to have to take them at their word. Amen. (laughs) It has something to do with participles, okay? And at that point, I was like, I can't figure this out. I don't even know what a participle is. Um, I don't know, but I, I know that both mean the same thing. They mean divided. And so Daniel interprets this in verse 28 as, Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So Belshazzar, you're going to be broken by the Medes and the Persians. Remember, they've already surrounded the city. 
they've already lowered the water levels of the river by rerouting it. They're probably already infiltrating the city as this scene is taking place. They are probably already overtaking the outer edges of the city, working themselves in to where this great temple would have been where probably this feast is taking place. Kingdoms divided. Also remember from a previous lesson in this chapter, this was all foretold of by name in the days of Isaiah and Jeremiah. They said the Medes are coming. They're going to take over Babylon. And this was also foretold, don't forget, in Daniel chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar saw the great image, the chest and arms of silver are a representation of this night. The the Medo-Persians are coming in. And so Belshazzar had been numbered. He'd been weighed. It's now time to be divided. Look at verses 30 and 31. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. And so once again, we see that the lesson here is, is Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Mine, mine, tekel, eupharsin. You know, one day, our days are going to be numbered. The day will come, it'll be your time to die. And what happens after death will be a result of whether you've humbled yourself and received Christ or if you've stayed in your pride and rejected Christ. Left to ourselves, when we are placed in God's scale, we all come up short of the glory of God. And you will either be weighed by yourself and you will be found wanting vain, empty, or Christ will be with you and He will be your sufficiency and you will be accepted because you're accepted in Him. But one day, listen, division is going to take place. Matthew 25, 31 through 33, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from the other, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So what must we do? 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And and how can we judge ourselves? It's through the scales of the pages of God's Word. The Word of God tells us it's like a mirror. And we see our natural man and how, how short we come of the glory of God. Paul weighed himself. In God's scale in Romans 7. And he concluded by confessing, O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But he answered saying, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we will see ourselves in the scales, uh, the scale of God's word. We will know that we have come up wanting. And, and that knowledge will lead us to Christ who took our punishment and He paid our sin debt and we will find that He is all we need. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7 To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. That's in Christ. 
in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So if you're still lost, then this passage in Daniel, I hope, is a wake-up call for you. Mine, mine, tekel, you farson. Your days are numbered. There's going to be a judgment. And there's going to be a division take place. The choice is yours. Death, judgment, the lake of fire. That's what the lost can look forward to. Come on now, back me up. That's the word of God. Now the saved don't have to worry about it. Hallelujah. You will be found wanting if you're lost in God's scale of justice. And, and no, 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 it's not going to be your good works versus your bad works. Right? Don't believe that Catholic lie. We're not talking about your works, although that will be judged. But what we're talking about is eternity in the balance. It's whether or not you know Christ, whether or not His blood is upon your life, and when He sees the blood, He'll pass over you. And if you don't have the blood applied to your heart and your life, forget it. You're going to be found wanting. You'll be divided. You'll be separated from God for all eternity in a place called the lake of fire. But it was never prepared for you. It was prepared for the devil and his followers. But when you reject Christ, you cast your lot in with the devil. So what's your choice going to be? Continue in your pride or humble yourself and come to Christ for salvation? Come on, preacher, this is Wednesday night. We all know the Lord. I would say to those of us in Christ... Let's be sure, and I know that's a great many of you, let's be sure that we're learning from the examples of those who have gone before us. We have God's Word. These things have been written for our examples, our examples, that we might learn from them. We do not have to learn from experience that the way of the transgressors is hard. And we shouldn't think we're going to be the exception to the rule. Would you pray with me, please?